Very pleased to have this conversation today with Caitlin Creasel, who's a manliest town counselor, but also someone who's been very involved with the Divest New York movement and uh, an incredible advocate for the environment in our area. And uh, we learn a little bit about, uh, um, you know, uh, social investing and uh, I, it's something that is uh, of great interest to me. And I think uh, hopefully it'll be of great interest to you. Uh, I'm recording this today on Wednesday night, uh, the uh, the day of the inaugural, uh, and we now have a new president, President Joe Biden. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say a few words about this. Four years ago um, was a tough time for many of us, and it does feel like a great weight is being lifted right now. And there is a lot of work to do. I may post some thoughts a little bit longer about what it's like to finally turn the page on this corner of history. Um, but right now, I think uh, we owe it to the new president to hear his agenda, give him the space to make the policy decisions that he wants to put out there in the first few days, and then argue about what whether those policies go far enough. And that is an important discussion. Uh, but I remind you that you must not react to things that are on the Twitter sphere that seem to be, you know, a little bit out there. Uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, talk this week about the power sharing agreement with uh, Mitch McConnell. Well, it was labeled a power sharing agreement, but there's really no power being shared. This Senate is split 50-50, which usually does mean that uh, there's equal membership uh, on all committees. That's what happened back when the, the Jim Jeffords defection back in 2001. That is the rules of the Senate. But the Democrats will have all of the committee chairs, and legislation will advance to the floor uh, if it's a tie vote in committee. So as, as well as nominees will advance to the floor uh, if there's a tie vote in committee. So there's very little... Um, that Republicans can do uh, if Democrats remain united. And so that's very important that we uh, express to our Democratic senators from across the country that uh, we want them to uh, support Joe Biden's nominees. We want them to support Joe Biden's agenda. Uh, and then if we feel like the policy is not progressive enough or too progressive, if that's uh, your leaning, then we should talk about what that policy is and not just uh, you know, uh, making, uh, you know, bold assumptions from some of the most reactionary people on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's a great uh, medium. Uh, but uh, sometimes we share things without really uh, going into and thinking about things. So I, I hope that uh, as we start to turn the page and have a functioning White House again and a functioning adult in that White House, that uh, we as a society start to do the work that is needed. We have a lot of work to do. And part of that work is understanding what's in certain policies. Uh, and uh, what, uh, you know, another thing that was out there was the 1400 versus 2000 check that for some reason people seem to willfully put on blinders and not see that. Uh, the campaigning that was done uh, was done to raise the $600 allotment to 2000. In fact, there was a bill that was supported by 
all of the progressives in the in the House and the Senate to raise that six hundred dollar payment to two thousand uh, dollars. It was voted on and uh, supported by AOC. So while we should have an argument about whether two thousand dollar checks are enough, the world is on fire. Our country is on fire. We need immediate help right now. This is stuff that we can get past right now, today. And then we need to go back to the table and get more. So, uh, you know, having, uh, you know, semantic discussions about whether you campaign on 2000 when 600 went out and whether 1400 plus 600 equals 2000, which it does. I think uh, we need to look at the policies that are being put forward, uh, read them and understand how it's going to help uh, at the average Americans. I would love to see more voting rights. I would love to see more uh, economic benefits. I would love to see a lot of things, uh, and I won't see them all in the first 100 days, but I do believe we are going to see a lot, a lot of good be done. So, and speaking of a lot of good being done, uh, that's why I'm happy to have my next guest, Caitlin Creaso, who is Manliest Town Board member, member of Divest New York, and a uh, financial planner uh, that is uh, um, you know, specializing in responsible uh, investments. So I hope you enjoy the interview as much as I enjoyed having it. And she even was good enough to come to us while she's on uh, vacation. She's not really on vacation. She's down in Florida helping her family out who just had a brand new baby. So her location is much sunnier and much better than the dark clouds that we have outside today in Syracuse. But uh, uh, but I'm, I'm very glad that she took some time out to, uh, to talk to us. So here's Caitlin Creaso. And I'm very happy to have uh, my good friend, Caitlin Creaso, uh, who's a uh, manliest town counselor, but heavily involved in the Divest New York movement, as well as a uh, financial planner uh, focusing on socially responsible uh, financial uh, investment. Caitlin, thanks so much for coming on Zoom with Zarni. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. I feel like this is probably the most notable thing I've ever done. And that <laughs> that is absolutely not true. <laughs> <laughs> dozens of people who watch this podcast. And <laughs> you've done a lot of notable things. You are you got elected to Manliest Town Council last year, yeah. right? And uh, and you were you had a lot of uh, activity this last year. You were really involved in some uh, incredible, uh, um, you know, uh, movement uh, organization this summer. I, I remember uh, lots of big things that you were doing this summer with the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, 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 and social justice as well. in, in Manliest there. Yeah, it's it is. I feel very lucky, um, very, I feel privileged and blessed in many ways to be able to layer into all of the different things that I do for my jobs, for my work, my professional work. I am able to advocate for social justice and climate justice in every avenue. And um, it's, it's really an amazing thing to be able to have an impact with, with your job. I, I feel very lucky that I get to do that. Yeah, well, and we're lucky to have you doing it as well. I mean, uh, you're a force to be reckoned with in this community. And uh, you recently uh, were, uh, you know, celebrating a huge win uh, in, I believe it was like late December, mm -hmm. where uh, a project that you were working on, Divest New York, had uh, a huge breakthrough in New York. 
why don't you explain to us what the best New York was is first, and then we can talk about what happened. Yeah. So um, some of the background of how I got involved with that organization. Um, fossil fuel divestment is a key tool to affecting change as it relates to climate justice. So it's probably not the first tool that, that a lot of us think of when we think of, okay, so climate change, one of the, if not the biggest risk facing generations on the planet, um, what can I do to, to mitigate that or to be a part of that? And a lot of people probably wouldn't think of their investment portfolio. They probably wouldn't think of the stocks in their investment portfolio and perhaps owning certain ones over another and using that as a strategy at all, much less to affect change as it relates to climate change and climate justice. So I started doing presenta presentations at colleges and universities around upstate New York six or seven years ago, uh, Syracuse University, SUNY ESF, Cornell, Hamilton College, uh, and a few others explaining to student groups who were trying to divest the endowments of their respective institutions, what is fossil fuel divestment, how do you do it, and what is the impact? Um, and that's what led me to get, get involved in the Divest New York campaign a couple years ago, with the target being the New York State Common Retirement Fund or the New York State Pension Fund that most people who are state employees participate in. Um, Justin, you might even participate in it. Do you, are you put, putting money into the pension system? That I am. I'm, yeah. I, I, I've been uh, in, a, in the pension system since 2001 when I started with the city of Syracuse and now with the uh, county of Onondaga, I continue to do that. Yep. So you, this would directly impact you. And, um, and, and these are the funds that as, as a person who, who cares about the world and the people around him, and I'm assuming the planet and climate change, um, if you if you had been made aware that your money that you're putting into the pension every year was purchasing stock in fossil fuel companies and that the viability of that common retirement fund was on the, the ability of those companies to make, make a profit, you could see how disaligned that was with the New York State goals and all of the work that we've been doing uh, to address climate change at the state level with all of our, with, with, with all the incredible policies that our New York State legislature has been putting forward. So Divest New York has been petitioning the New York State Comptroller for several years to divest the New York State Pension Fund of fossil fuel companies. Um, and the, how that would impact climate change is that we live in a capitalistic society. Companies need to be making money to demonstrate profits to their shareholders. And so if we stop owning that stock and driving the share price down, it's just, you know, some basic investment knowledge, less people that want to buy it, more people are selling it, the share price goes down. So if we're divesting of it, if we're selling off the shares, that does in fact drive the share price down, which poses a very real risk to these companies and can compel them to change, to go a different direction. And so um, the New York State Comptroller is Tom Dinopoli. And so for years, uh, Divest New York, long before I became involved with the organization, was was lobbying him, trying to get him to divest the New York State pension from these fossil fuel companies. And um, it wasn't working. So they created with uh, Senator Liz Krueger, um, who's not from central New York, uh, but she, she's been incredible. She uh, 
co-wrote with Divest New York, the New York State Fossil Fuel Divestment Act, a bill that was, um, was we were mostly focused on in the Senate, getting co-sponsors of that would have required the comptroller to divest the New York State pension. And so we worked for years on this bill and getting co-sponsors of the bill. And so that was where I played a large role um, in the strategy, the grassroots organizing strategy around how to get these co-sponsors. Um, and then I, I helped to develop and implement that strategy, which we called the Four More campaign. And, um, and did public education events all around New York State, trying to get more support for this bill and worked with a great team, just incredible, incredible organizers, very committed, intelligent, compassionate people, inclusive and diverse group of people uh, to do this work. And we, we, we succeeded in that we got so many co-sponsors on the bill. We'd pushed the legislative agenda as far as we could and we're ready to bring it to the floor when the comptroller finally came to the table and said, okay, let's do it. And so we, in agreement with him, we pulled the bill and he committed in December of 2020 to divest the New York State pension of fossil fuel companies by the year 2024. Um, and it was, it's just such an incredible achievement and it, it will have a very real impact on these companies and their ability to borrow money, their ability to grow in any capacity. Um, and they are, the, the writing is on the wall that they must pivot to a renewable energy economy or shareholders will continue to sell off the shares, which could drive the share price down to nothing and bankrupt these companies. So we hit them where it hurts and it worked in the, in the comptroller. I just can't thank him enough for his leadership on this issue. So it is not legislative. It was an agreement with the comptroller. Um, I assume that that means that uh, if the, if Tom DiNapoli ever were not the comptroller, that this, that this could be a fight that needs to continue to be brought up. So that's been a concern that's been raised by several folks. We were asked that question during the press conference after uh, the big announcement. Um, and we believe that the, that the commitment that the comptroller has made in the agreement that he has entered into with, with Liz Kruger, that that's, that is not something that can be easily reversed at all. It's a, it's a trajectory that, um, that makes sense, not only from the standpoint of the fact that he's, you know, struck this deal with us. So now someone else is just going to honor that deal. But it's, it's the fiduciary obligation. The comptroller has essentially come out and said that it's, in, it's his legal obligation to maximize return for the benefit of those that are, will benefit from the fund, the beneficiaries of the fund. You have to act in their best interest. And so by committing to this, he has put his stamp on the fact that if you don't do this, that you're in breach of that obligation. So it, you can't just reverse course like that. It can't be your uh, fiduciary uh, obligation to maximize return over here and then over here and have those things completely contradict with each other. So it's evolved, it's still evolving, um, but it's not just a climate question. A lot of, I'm sure a lot of folks wish it could be that simple. I, I certainly understand that. It's a financial question how are these companies performing? Where are these companies going long-term? Is this really where we want to invest the assets of 
the pension fund? And the answer is no, they're, they're more volatile. They, um, their dividends have been cut in the last year. Um, they, they're, the price of oil actually went negative last year for a, for a hot minute. So like we, what the comptroller has come out and said is that not only is this disaligned with the values of our state, but financially it is imprudent it is not. It is not prudent, and it is um, in breach of a fiduciary obligation that that they must divest to maintain that legal requirement. That's great. That's great to hear. Uh, I mean, I, I believe Comptroller uh, today. I believe will be there for quite some time. Uh, he's a very <laughs> popular, one of the most popular uh, of our statewide uh, elected officials. So, I mean, well, he's one great. of my favorite people now. So I can't argue. Yeah, if he is. <laughs> <laughs> So, and you mentioned this a, a little bit earlier, but this is really, well, you know, before I get to that, but it, we're not the only state that is doing this, right? Is Divest New York the first state doing this, or is it, oh, oh we are the first You're state. first, That's, yeah. So I mean, New that York was, is leading the way. Yes, New York state is the first. Uh, California, we expect to not be too far behind. Um, I believe it was Massachusetts, a Divest movement in Massachusetts that quoted us on social media the next day, like if Divest New York can do it, if New York State can do it, then we can do it too. So that's why this was so important. Like on its on the face of it, it was important just on its own. The like New York State owned a billion dollars in Exxon alone. We were one of the, the um, and I mean, in a minute, we might talk about shareholder advocacy because that's one of the big questions we get on this issue. Uh, but we were one of the biggest shareholders of Exxon. And so to walk away from that, to sell all those shares off over the course of a couple of years, uh, is a really big deal. Just that alone. But it's really the trend. It's it's like if New York State can do it, then anyone can. Because it all comes back to that fiduciary obligation. We made the argument. We were able to clear it with the lawyers that are really going to look at this carefully. Um, if we can do it, anyone can. Okay, so let's get into shareholder advocacy. So <laughs> You know, I mean, as New York is looking to uh, shed some of these, uh, uh, you know, these dividends and some of these big, large companies, where, how do you believe that that will compel them to make these changes in the future? Or will this allow other people to come in and scoop up these uh, dividends that maybe don't care too much about uh, making these changes? Yeah, so the question was always, and this was something I wrestled with myself when I was you know, thinking about this. Like, is that the best strategy? You keep the shares, you stay a shareholder, and you leverage your ability to vote the shares because you own the company. You like, even if you own like a tiny, tiny little piece, you can vote, and so you can have a voice as a as a shareholder, probably a very, very small one because we're talking about multi-billion or trillion-dollar companies. But yes, you are a shareholder and you have a voice, and that, that voice should matter. And and can you use that voice to influence change? The, the short answer is yes, you absolutely can and you should. And that's one of the most important elements of socially responsible and ESG investing, environmental social governance investing, that your shares are being voted in accordance with a, a socially just, a climate just mission. And a lot of traditional investments, that doesn't happen. That's not the case. So should we stay investing in a fossil fuel company to exercise shareholder advocacy? So you can use shareholder advocacy to influence change, but you cannot use shareholder advocacy to change the fundamental business practice of a business. 
you can't buy L'Oreal and buy a ton of shares of L'Oreal and try to get them to sell cars. <laughs> they sell makeup. I don't know why you think you're going to vote them into a completely different sector of the economy. It's not going to happen. And the same is true with a fossil fuel company. You can't vote Exxon into not drilling for fossil fuels. That's what they do. So divestment is a form of shareholder advocacy. You are leveraging your shares to affect change by selling them, by saying, I am not going to put up with your business practices anymore. Um, I tried to change from within. That can't work. So I am going to sell my shares. And the comptroller did everything he could. You can search it up online, everything that Dinopoli did to try to get Exxon to do better and valiantly so. But at some point you have to recognize that this relationship's just not working out and you've got to you've got to walk away. It's like at some point, we all get to that point. So, um, <laughs> so kudos to him. Well, for been there, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you said, this is not something that is just, you know, a cause that you do at night. I mean, this is something that you are, you know, involved with as a financial planner, uh, you know, specializing in uh, socially responsible investment. And I think that's a term that many people just don't know about, right? I mean, so why don't you explain what socially responsible investment is? Oh, I would love to. This is like I my favorite you. thing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, socially responsible investment um, at its core means to be evaluating something about a company other than just how much money it makes. Like you're not just looking at the financials of the company, you're looking at the company itself. And uh, so socially responsible investing encompasses a whole bunch of things, um, including negative screening, like I don't want tobacco or firearms or nuclear or fossil fuel companies in my portfolio. Um, that's socially responsible investing, negative screening. Um, the type of socially responsible investing that I focus on is called ESG investing. So that means that we're, those are positive screens. We are actively seeking companies that score highly on those criteria, that are doing well by the environment, that are treating their employees well, that are treating the communities well in which they exist, that are sourcing their products sustainably, and that have good corporate social governance to back all those things up. No greenwashing. What are your policies and procedures? What are the rules that you are following to support all of the work that you say that you're doing? And so that's ESG, that's what I do. And so, for my clients, it's a conversation of what do you care about? What are the issues that matter to you? Um, like, I don't wear a white wig. I'm not here to judge. I am here to create a portfolio that aligns with your values and that helps you to leverage your investments to affect change about the causes that you care about. And it, the, 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 one of the best parts about it is that historically, ESG investments have outperformed. And of course, past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? But we have every reason to believe that ESG investing, it, the companies that are following these principles that have positive corporate social governance are more stable. They're doing better. And it makes all the sense in the, in the world. Their employees are happy. They're, um, they save money on electricity by putting solar panels up on the roof. I mean, we we see the financial benefits of environmental and social sustainability every day in the companies that are doing those things. So 
for nonprofits and for uh, businesses, for individuals and families. We can have, we just get to have the most incredible conversations with them um, about the things they care about and then creating a portfolio that reflects that. And the shareholder advocacy is happening. Like, do you want more women on, or people of color on the board? Yeah, we voted for that. We're absolutely pushing that because we know that not only is that better for the world and the people in it, but that it's better for the company because companies that have a diverse board and a diverse uh, diverse employees and inclusive governance policies that they're doing better than the ones that don't. So that, yeah, and that you're selling me uh, right now. So <laughs> that's good. Because uh, I realize I have to do better about the stuff that I, I do as well or don't do. That's part of my problem. But that's a whole other story. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> we can chat offline, Justin. <laughs> yeah, 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 we'll chat offline about that. But, uh, so, you know, as you're obviously, you're incredibly involved in the environmental community and environmental activism. And as we're taping today, it's the day before uh, President uh, Biden's inauguration. And well, this will be airing on Thursday. So what are your hopes for um, the next administration? I mean, obviously the last four years have been hell for the environment, uh, you know, getting out of the Paris Acc uh, Accords and he has already said that on day one and hopefully by the time this airs, he'll have already put us back in the Paris Accords. But what is your hope for President Biden to not just, you know, uh, not, not just reverse, but perhaps, uh, you know, enhance some of our environmental policies, uh, yeah. you know, so do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> I mean, it's a good question and it's complex because it's like, like there are obvious things like getting back into the Paris climate agreement. And I am so excited to see the Keystone pipeline be oh, yeah. kiboshed in like two seconds. Like there's some, there's a lot of work that needs to be done with some executive orders pretty, pretty quickly. But if we're looking at real policy that Biden could pass um, or that his administration and the folks that are helping to support this new administration will be working to do. It's, it's looking at like, what are the types of policies that we could pass that would improve um, access to the, the things that we need access to in the United States to move the needle on climate change. So one of the first things is um, is the Citizens Climate Lobby in Central New York and working on the uh, the carbon fee and dividend. That's a huge opportunity that we absolutely need to be looking at. That, that I'm hoping Biden prioritizes, um, and that we should all be supporting locally because that would have a real impact. That's one example. Um, and then there are. Uh, there are some basic things that I would like to see extended or expanded, like tax credits um, to folks who put solar panels on the roof on their roof for so renewable energy products. So the federal investment tax credit to see that expanded. That the growth in solar and renewable energy in New York State and in country or in states around the country was huge. So we need to be financially incentivizing that. And I also think that that tax credit should um, should be refunded to you whether or not you had the uh, the income that, that could qualify for that tax credit. So there's there and then there's more on the the front of um, corporate disclosure. So from kind of back to the ESG for a second, like what one of the things that is like if you think about a company and how much 
they're required by FINRA and the Securities and Exchange Commission to report. They're required to disclose all sorts of stuff to their shareholders, but they don't have to disclose their climate risk. They don't have to disclose, like, it, like imagine like um, a homeowner's insurance company with increased flooding that we're seeing every single year. They don't have to disclose how climate change has affected their business. And they know it, they're just not telling us. And we as shareholders have a right to know. And so increased disclosure requirements over environmental and social justice, um, like there's all these different criteria that they should be disclosing. So increased disclosure on those is something that I will absolutely be advocating for. Um, but just whatever financial incentives there could be to, to help folks of low and moderate income to access renewable energy, electric vehicles, geothermal, like we have to start making these things affordable for everyone if we're ever going to move the needle. So, and you know, I guess I kind of jumped ahead. I jumped ahead to the national issue, but with a, with a supermajority now in the New York State Senate and Assembly, um, you know, what, what are the next steps for Divest New York? I mean, you've, you've, uh, you've accomplished your big goal, but I, I'm sure there's other uh, issues that you want to uh, tackle in the upcoming legislative session. I know uh, Senator May just announced a constitutional amendment for uh, 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 an environmental constitutional amendment. I can't believe it's coming off my head right now. I can't remember it, but you probably know. So. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. And I read that. I don't remember the name either. I can never remember um, what the CCP. <laughs> I never can remember what that stands for. I'm like, what is it that we did in New York that was awesome? The CCPL or PA or something? And everyone's like, yeah, Caitlin, that's kind of the big deal. And I can never remember what it is. Um, <laughs> so I don't blame you. But the um, it, the future of Divest New York, I mean, we we will continue to work with the comptroller to advance this, but it would that'll happen mostly outside of the legislature. Um, so what we will be focusing on is the New York State teachers pension, which is separate. So there's the New York City pension, all, everyone in New York City is separate from the rest of the state. And then you've got the New York State pension, which we've already gotten the commitment for. And so now it's the New York State teachers pension fund that we're, we're looking to do the same thing. and. Then after that, I don't know what we're going to do. Like we, we, I mean, we need to have a party to celebrate that much. I know um, that we're really hoping that the pandemic winds down enough that this summer we can have a huge celebration to actually like we did this. We did this a huge thing that no one thought we could do. Um, but it's interesting um, in terms of Divest New York. I wonder, I mean, it's a good question. Like what because well, we have influence and we have a whole structure and there i mean one thing that came up was like the 529 plan for college savings um trying to get more socially responsible esg options in that fossil fuel free options for folks and it's just constantly trying to beat that drum saying your decisions matter as an individual and that your ability to affect change it doesn't always have to be like the loudest voice in the room. You could be making that impact every day with where you bank, with where you invest, how you invest, um, that all of our financial decisions add up and that we can be really powerful with where, where we spend money, how we spend money. Um, 
some of the things I'd like to do at the local level is more cooperative ownership of businesses. Uh, that's something I would love to see. Uh, cooperative ownership of real estate. There's some folks in Syracuse doing some really cool stuff on that. Helping people to become owners in the economy again. Um, most small businesses are, you know, they tens and tens of percentage points we've lost uh, over these decades. So reinvigorating that, bringing that back, like more than a buy local campaign, like local ownership of our own economy. So there's there's all sorts of cool stuff that can be done. And um, and I'm always in the thick of all of it, <laughs> whatever it is. Yes, you are. <laughs> well, um, you know, I appreciate you uh, taking time away from your, uh, you, the viewers will know that you are in Florida. You're, you're, you're much better son, but you're down there because you, congratulations, you're an aunt again, another I aunt. Am. aunt I'm, many an times. I'm an aunt two, now two more times over because my sister had twins on uh, January 2nd. And my uncle said they're good, it's a good, um, a, a good lottery number because they were born one, two, two, Two one. Yeah, one two yeah. two one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, so that's they have great. like a really cool birthday. Yeah. So. And you're down there helping your family out. It's not a uh, irresponsible vacation. You're out there. <laughs> you're, but uh, but I wanted to thank you for uh, you know popping in in this our new life, right? We can pop in and do interviews from anywhere now. And uh, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I all of my recent guests, I've uh, been just talking to about you know what happened last week at the Capitol and, uh, and, you know, we're all involved in politics. Obviously you're a public official and, uh, you know, you're involved in a, in elections and running for election, but to see what happened at the Capitol and, and our, our democracy under assault. So what, what, it's kind of, a, I didn't tell you, I was going to ask you this question. So sorry, but <laughs> what are your thoughts about that? What, what do you think, what would you like to do as a public official to try to, you know, kind of restore our democracy a little bit? Yeah, it's a good question. I, well, I, I, you know, I'm down here with my family. My parents are here. My brother was still here. He just headed back up to uh, Manlius last weekend, this past weekend. And um, so we're all just sitting there watching the news and it, it wasn't surprising, but it was shocking. And I, I'm an, I'm an empathic person. Like I'm a sensitive, emotional person, but I, felt like stirred in my soul like i felt it impact me as a as a, a a student of american history and politics you know i majored in political science in college and i've learned about all sorts of things and you know you watch the news you see things from all over the world to watch those people walking around the capitol building i just felt so upset like deep within who i am as a person that this happened and I felt um, defensive of my democracy, of our country and in a way that I don't remember ever needing to feel and how uh, it made me feel vulnerable and, um, and that, you know, like we hold up democracy, American democracy as like this insular thing that, that can withstand anything and I think that the lesson that we need to learn is that it's not only is it imperfect, but it, it is, it is, it is not impenetrable and that we have to be vigilant. We have to 
stand up at every opportunity. You know, like I'm a town of manliest counselor. I don't, you know, purport to be like some huge influence on the world. I, I think it's important what we do. I think it's a very important role. I take it very seriously. But I think that every single elected official at every single level of government needs to come out and say, this was unacceptable. And we had our organizational meeting for the town of Manlius that night. And that's exactly what I did. Before we dove into all the important items on the agenda, I asked for a moment to denounce the activities of the, the things that I saw. and. Um, I took that, that opportunity again at our board meeting last week when it was brought to the attention of the board that, um, that the Saturday prior had been a national um, day of recognition for the police department. And I responded thanking the uh, individual that raised that, um, but I wanted to point out the hypocrisy that I had just seen police officers beaten with American flags and no one has said a word about that coming from this faction. And so how can you with one hand say, oh, well, let's, you know, the police department is so important. Yes, of course it is. So then you should be denouncing the events that have taken place in our country. And that's what it means to stand up for your police department is to stand up to everyone, not just the people that are inconvenient to you. And I feel very strongly that we can be a voice for change no matter what level of government we're in and that we have to stand up now no just we we have to be demonstrative of the type of government we want to see calling things out that are wrong no matter how small your part is in this big play that is american democracy and we and i and i am committed and have been committed and have demonstrated this actively Working across the aisle, I work with people. I'm a Democrat, shocking as that might be to the people listening to this conversation. And um, I work very closely with several Republican officials in the local villages, in the town of Manlius and at the county level. I have friendly relationships with them, respectful relationships with them. Do we agree on everything? No, of course we don't. But do I think that they have the country's best interest, our community's best interest at heart in the decisions that they're making? Yes, I do. I just think we have a different way of getting there. So I choose to believe that, and I work with those folks, and some of them have become very dear friends, and I'm proud to be able to say that. So that's what I try to do. That's what that's the example I try to set, to restore. When we see that at the national level, it's even more important at the local level that we exemplify the type of government we'd like to see. Well. Uh, Caitlin, thank you again for coming on uh, and sharing your perspective and uh, all the great work that you did with the Best New York. Uh, thank you uh, for all of that as well and what you're doing in the future. Uh, and uh, I hope to have you on again later this summer when we talk to the Manliest Town uh, slate. I, you, you are running for re-election, right? I am running for re-election. I, I see I'm, I'm breaking news, but I'm glad you are. We need people like you uh, out, out, out there. Manlius is one of the, the great stories of the last couple of years and the, the flip that uh, Manlius underwent. And it's a model for the rest of the Democrats in, in other towns in Onondaga County. So um, I can't wait to have all of you on when you have your slate ready and uh, <laughs> we'll have you all on uh, a future Zoom with Zara. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I look forward to it. It's going to be it's going to be a different election season. I'm hoping we can get out and knock on doors. But uh, but if you do live in the town of Manlius, just remember double K on election day and vote for Caitlin Creasel. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And, uh, well, and uh, coming up on uh, this uh, Sunday, I'll have uh, Yusuf Abdul-Kadir of the Syracuse chapter of the NYCLU. We'll be talking about uh, the role of social justice in the new uh, Biden administration and what he's hoping to do here locally as well. Uh, so thank you very much. Uh, remember that the virus is still out there and please, uh, you know, the vaccines are on their way, not as quick as we would like, but hopefully quicker soon. Uh, and, but uh, until then, be as socially distant as possible, wear a mask. And, uh, and protect your friends and neighbors because we are losing thousands upon thousands of Americans a day. And uh, it's, we still have a very dark winter ahead. So thank you very much. And I hope to see you on the next Zoom and Zarni. Bye-bye.